Let's go back to the year 2004. A guy named Phil Mickelson won his first major at the Masters. Michelle Wee, at the age of 14, became the youngest woman to play in a PGA Tour tournament. And Vijay Singh was the player of the year. And also, the catalyst for the conversation we're having today took place. A paper was published by two researchers called Challenge Point. Tim and I uh, published the Challenge Point paper 11 years ago now. And it essentially uh, created a, a concept and a formula around that where it largely said, um, you know, look, let's reach this optimal challenge point, this point at which you're being optimally challenged for success during a round, not success during practice. That phrase is amazing to me. A point at which you're being optimally challenged for success during the round and not success during practice. That was one of the co-authors of this paper called Challenge Point, Dr. Mark Guadagnoli. Mark Guadagnoli, professor of kinesiology and uh, director of the Motor Behavior Laboratory at UNLV. And he was referring to his co-author, Dr. Tim Lee, who we have actually heard from earlier this season of the Golf Science Lab. If you're dealing with a beginner, then don't set the bar too high in terms of the challenge. Don't make it too difficult by introducing uh, you know, a whole lot of random practice. If the skill level of the golfer is, is higher, then you want to challenge them more during practice. Don't make practice too easy for them. And today we're talking all about finding the optimal challenge point for you. Although a simple concept is something we really haven't gotten in golf. Welcome to the Golf Science Lab, a place for you to learn what's truly going on in the world of golf research so you can bring these insights to improve your game. Welcome back to our ninth season of this episode on motor learning. We're talking all about challenge point and difficulty because it's really one of these factors that brings everything together. It brings together all of these topics that we've been talking about here on this first season. And if you haven't heard, we're hosting the first ever virtual summit on motor learning and golf. I'm really excited about it. For instance, you know, if you enjoy this conversation on Challenge Point, we have a presentation from Trillium Rose, which really dives deeper into this topic. Uh, and also, we have a really good conversation with Adam Young on Focus, which is the perfect companion for last week's episode with Dr. Gabrielle Wolf. And you know, not only are these these two presentations, but we have at least 10 more from some of the best folks in the industry talking all about learning and practice so you can improve efficiently. You can find out more at motorlearninglab.com and you can actually check out an excerpt of a presentation there to see what it's going to be like. You know, think about it like lifting weights, right? If you're lifting weights and it's easy, you're not improving, right? I mean, that makes perfectly good sense from a physiological perspective, but we don't think about it from a cognitive perspective. But it's the same thing. You know, it's it, in your, if you do 10 reps of a bench press, for example, it's really only the last three or four reps that, where you're struggling, where you're growing. And it's the exact same thing in any kind of learning. But if you struggle in this bench press example, if you struggle on the very first one, that's too much challenge. You know, that's not a desirable difficulty. That's a beyond desirable difficulty. And so, 
you know, we have this sort of Goldilocks complex where there's a sweet spot right in the middle, you know, not, not too much, not too little. And really part of the art of teaching, I think, is finding that sweet spot. What a great way to frame this conversation about challenge and difficulty. You know, the example of lifting weights is pretty easy to understand. It's something we're familiar with and makes sense. But for some reason, we're having a really hard time understanding how this works in golf. So with, with, a, with a novice player, someone who's just beginning or somebody who doesn't play a lot of golf, struggle for them happens every time they swing the club or swing the putter because they're not very good. And so repetition there and doing the same thing over and over again is a significant amount of struggle for somebody at that skill level. But, you know, the, the, the types of players that I'm working with that are, you know, expert level, collegiate level varsity golfers, challenge for them comes in different ways. Makes sense? Totally, because, you know, making solid contact with a golf ball is challenging for a beginner, while it's become relatively easy somewhat for a mid-handicapper. So the challenge point is totally different for the two. And say hello to our second guest, Chris Bertram. I'm Chris Bertram. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Kinesiology at the University of the Fraser Valley. I'm also, uh, for the past 11 years, the head golf coach for the men's and women's golf program here at University of the Fraser Valley. Let's get back to Dr. Guadagnoli and talk about the premise that although the task has gotten a lot easier for the mid-handicapper, most people still practice very similarly, whether they're learning the game or have achieved some level of competence. You know, look, let's reach this optimal challenge point, this point at which you're being optimally challenged for success during a round, not success during practice. And that's really the mistake a lot of people make. They think that if they're doing well in practice, then they're learning and that'll transfer to the golf course. And obviously that doesn't happen. You know, so, so what Tim and I really were proposing was the idea that you challenge yourself uh, really to some degree of extreme during practice so that the game becomes easy you know, or easier. Uh, so that's the concept behind it. It's crazy to think about, you know, a scratch golfer and a complete novice stand next to each other, practicing in a relatively similar way. Similar task, but different level of difficulty for each individual. It's really interesting. There's there prior to the mid 2000s, there had been a lot of research that looked at areas like uh, uh, you probably heard some of this with Bob and, and Tim, contextual interference, interleaving practice, part whole practice, KR feedback, those kinds of things. And, and they all seem to have mixed results uh, in that it would say, for example, if you practice in a repetitive way, that's better during practice but you actually learn less than if you practice in a randomized way, right? But that's only true for certain people. And for feedback, uh, you know, more feedback is bad, less feedback is better, but that's only true for certain people. Anyway, you put together hundreds and hundreds of studies and you start to see these odd trends that it's this interaction between the, the difficulty of the task and the individual that's performing it. And so that really led Tim and I to start thinking about it differently and saying it's not that it's a one-size-fits-all, this is better. It's what fits best for the individual. 
And so there really became two uh, important pieces, I think, that came out of this. One of them is that it scales to the individual. So what, what might be the best practice for you may be, you know, too hard for me or vice versa um, to optimize our learning. Cool. Makes sense. All right. Because this next part is specifically about you and your challenge point and how critical this is for your improvement. The other thing is that what is the best practice for you at one point may not be the best practice for you at another point. And so one of the things that you see people do a lot of times is they'll practice the same way over and over and over again. And what challenge point says is that you, you reach this point of diminishing returns if you're doing that. And that's why a lot of people will, will tend to get better and then level off uh, because they haven't continued to challenge themselves along the way. So you want to maximize the return on your time by making sure you have a suitable challenge point. And here's an example of how that might play out in the real world. Okay, so let's take you as a beginning golfer uh, and then as a more advanced golfer, right? So as a beginning golfer, you don't want to uh, change things, have too much variability in practice because you're pretty variable by yourself, right? You hit a seven iron 10 times and it's not going to go the same place. And so you're creating some of that variability. So you would want to use what's known as a blocked practice. Okay. So you hit the seven iron several times in a row. I, I always suggest that you never hit more than three shots in a row before you back away and kind of think about what you did and step forward, partially for tempo, partially for, um, you know, really letting the cognition take place. But then you hit another three shots and another three shots. And you're doing this with your seven iron, let's say, for example. Now, so let's say you hit 12, 15 shots with a seven iron. As an expert golfer, you would never do that because you're hit, you have very little variability in your swing and in the ball flight, and there are a lot more important things than you know, just showing that you can hit a 7-iron. Now, all of a sudden, you change, you create randomness, you create pressure, um, you change the way that you're getting or giving feedback, change the length of time. There's a lot of things that you do that, that are really creating more pressure. And that's one of the reasons why we have this stress-resistant learning. So less pressure when you're newer to it, more consistency when you're newer to it, and then you shift that as you move further along. But beyond that, we're looking at more factors than just skill. So the mistake that people make, or a mistake that people make, I think, is to think that when they're practicing on the range, that it's not about their men- mindset. But if you do it correctly, it is absolutely about your mindset. So you learn how to deal with stress, frustration, um, success. You learn how to deal with all those if you're practicing correctly. And then you just bring that onto the course. It really should never be something where you decide you're going to create a mindset on the course. It should be created before you ever get there, and it should be practiced, and you should, you know, you should have learned it by the time that you get there, and then it's just a matter of executing it. So, yeah, absolutely, there's frustration that happens, but there's also, uh, you know, during a, a round, but there's also frustration that happens, can happen during practice, and and in how you deal with that frustration, you start to, you know, demonstrate how you're going to deal with it on the course. And so 
it really becomes a, a more holistic way of practicing both the mind and body working together to learn. Your mindset during practice should be the same as on the course. There shouldn't be a change or a switch. If you're just practicing technique, you're missing out on a lot of what you should be training for. The challenge in golf is not just executing the shot. The challenge is also the psychological challenge of having to hit that shot under pressure. And I think we have to keep this idea that we're not just practicing mechanics. We're talking about mental preparation for hitting shots. And we have to have challenge in both of those domains if we're going to truly make a better competitive golfer or just try to teach the average amateur player to be a little bit better for that matter. I want to take a minute to talk to those of you out there that are on the journey to becoming great. Or maybe you're a coach, you teach someone on that journey. And let's get honest. It's hard to struggle if you're good. If you're a good golfer trying to be great, this concept of struggling and failing, it sucks. You know, because who wants to fail when you've reached some level of competence, right? But it's time for some, some really some tough love and a conversation about really becoming great and what it takes. I've, if I worked with UNLV's golf team now for 15 years. So if, if I only think about the players that have come through the program, you know, phenomenal players, Adam Scott, Ryan Moore, Charlie Hoffman, Chris Riley, all these guys. Um, and if I only think about the UNLV players, okay, I've seen everything you've just described. I've seen players who come in and they're so afraid of letting go of good that they never get to great. I've seen players who are like, I don't care what it takes. I don't care what I have to go through. I want to do it. And, and interestingly enough, so much of that is really around the mindset and around their, the ego, right? And I don't mean ego like they're egocentric. I mean how much they're protecting good or not. And those who protect good fail to get to that next level. The mindset here is so important. Success is more often determined by mindset than golf swing. One, we, we always talk about better on the way to great, right? So um, the journey becomes very, very important in the whole process. And so we're, what, you know, what we ask is, okay, here's where you are, whatever that happens to be. What can you do to take a step towards better? And, and what you'll see is that people will will either embrace that step towards better or not and and you hear it in in voice and you hear it in attitude and in eye contact and those things it's like i don't know if this is going to work or i don't know if my grip should be like this or you know those kinds of things right now i don't do do rarely work with the mechanics of swing uh but but you can see people get frustrated by missing shots. And when they do that, which is completely normal, but when they do that, what they're really doing is they're saying, I'm sacrificing my greatness for looking good now. I'm going to protect myself and be embarrassed and mad and frustrated about not doing great and not doing well now. And instead of letting go of that, you know, to be great. And, and so the people who have in mind what can I do to be better? 
and then better and then better. Those are the ones who consistently, you know, move towards greatness. So what you should be doing on a regular basis is this. UNLV golfers, for example, they do this on a pretty regular basis. We actually have, uh, have um, practice protocol sheets where they start off by saying, My, the goal of today is this. I'll know if I've reached that goal if I do this. Um, and then they actually set out their practice. And, and then the really hard part is actually sticking to that. Like you can, you can set out this great plan, but if you start mishitting the ball, your tendency is to go off plan, right? And so um, you set out that plan. Now, interestingly enough, and, and this, is, this is the way that we sell it to the guys, if you can stick to the plan, what you're doing is demonstrating and working on discipline. And that same discipline is going to take over on the golf course. So you're not only practicing golf, you're practicing your mind, for your mind. And so anyway, they set out that plan, they get done with the plan, they go through a, a review process, and then based on that review process, they'll set out their next plan and continue that cycle. Theoretically, that's how it's supposed to work. So, yeah, I was mentioning the, uh, the golf book, Practice to Learn, Play to Win. In the back of that golf book, it actually has example practice plans set out depending on what level of player you are and so forth. The book that Dr. Guadagnoli mentions there is actually one he's written himself, and I recommend checking it out. We'll have a link on our site that you can learn more about that. Thank you so much, Dr. Guadagnoli and Dr. Chris Bertram for sharing with us. Make sure to check out our upcoming Motor Learning Virtual Summit at motorlearninglab.com. This episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker. Make sure to find us on iTunes or Stitcher and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen wherever you want on your phone. And this is edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. And we'll see you all next time on the Golf Science Lab.